Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. had to come to terms with something about myself the other day and it is that i am kind of a technology phobe oh okay interesting why i mean i'm someone who's very anxious i'm not Mm -hmm. really someone that likes to pathologize everything that's that's just not kind of how i like to define myself okay that's fair i really had to come to terms with the fact that technology and a lot of computer stuff stresses me out like to to a degree that i'm extremely uncomfortable like just like making a pdf or like you know organizing like (laughs) like figuring out i I, I can do that i I can make a pdf but um i think i have a I, i i don't know exactly what it is or why but I I think I feel very ineffectual when I don't understand how a computer program works. Okay, I see what you mean. So so basically the 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 other day I had, you know, like about an hour and a half break between um, you know, my my class uh, had a break. Uh, you know, we we got let out a little early for lunch. So I was like, I've got an hour and a half. Um mm-hmm. I can get this thing printed. Uh oh, no. I, it's a book binding class. I got some fancy paper that I wanted to print it on so that it was, you know, something more substantial than Xerox. And then I was going to bind it into a book. I'd spent all this time formatting it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was actually the, the Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, because I'm that kind of insufferable. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you bound First your own copy. Bound. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, like... Also, I relate to the metamorphosis not in like a toxic masculinity way, but like in a um that is the closest thing I think to describing sleep paralysis I've ever encountered. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. The part where he just he can't bring himself to get out of bed. Okay. Uh, it also feels like being turned into a giant bug. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so. I really relate to that. But so I, I bought some fancy paper that would, you know, I'd be able to print on both sides of it. It would be good, thick paper for me to, uh, to, to, to bind into a book. Uh, and I realize in, you know, immediately I feel like an idiot. I bought uh, paper for an inkjet printer. Uh not oh, not a laser printer. Oh no, no, no. So no, I no. have to go, you know, into the basement of the school to the ugh, the design. <laughs> the All design right. suites. Alright, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Mister, I'm gonna do everything by letterpress over here when it comes to, to book binding. <laughs> I like analog technology. I know it makes I me know. feel better. I, I <laughs> so appreciate I had to that. go in there and they're like showing me how to set up the printer, and I'm like <laughs> 
I only want to use it this one time, and then I never want to be in this room again. <laughs> Just show me how to turn on, show me how to turn it on, and set the settings to what I need. And then it slowly became my worst nightmare oh, no. because. She's like, oh, well, here, just import your PDF into Photoshop. Yep, yep, yep. And <laughs> print each page individually. Correct. And you'll need to set the printer settings each time uh -huh. for each page. Perceptual, baby. And this is actually <laughs> my hell. Oh, no. Do you, know, do you want to know how long it took me to print um, 11 double-sided pages? It took me two hours. Jesus, that's somehow it could like, be worse. I was I honest. was late coming back to class oh, with like my no. my measly little stack of paper. Oh no, Zed! Literally, this was my <laughs> job for like two years. <laughs> the text to me, be like, "Hey, what do I do?" Because <laughs> I, I, it, it's so funny to me because this is one of these only situations where I could be like, I have literally been working and had to deal with something like this exactly the same <laughs> of walking through so, i'm always so, someone one, one of the one of the fine artists that yeah just, like is, is lost is as ventured oh yeah man no it, it happens all the time because like i i mean i worked in the computer lab which was more focused for well actually it was kind of weird because design students didn't know how to print which was a problem but uh mm. i because it was mostly like photo students i was printing for and you know, I, I know how to do that, and know I know how to print for design students as well. But the worst part is when they try to act like they know what they're doing, and they tell you, and I'm like, no, mm. that won't work. Like it literally is not going to do that. Um, but it is, yeah. it is so confusing. Like I do not blame yeah. your struggle, and I sometimes wish mm -hmm. I could just screen print everything because it would be easier uh, than use inkjet yeah, printers. Yeah, I think I just really, really did not want to be the person that mm -hmm. had to ask for all of this help has has wandered in there nobody's seen me before they're probably never going to see me again <laughs> i just didn't want to be the guy that walks in the one time and jams it's, the printer it happens man it's not a problem it, it is what it mm. is Technology's difficult it, it just it just really made me have to confront the fact that i get extremely extremely uh like like my heart rate was up oh no like trying trying to operate photoshop in in, in just just printing all i'm doing is printing it I'm is pressing print and 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 mm -mm. redoing printer settings and i'm not yeah it, it, i'm i'm just immediately stressed out it's like i dread updating my website you know oh god yeah that's a whole other beast in and of itself it is printing is crazy man like it is not mm -hmm. We are trained to think it's just press print and it'll come out pretty. And in reality, it is um, not that easy. There's printer settings. Right. There's profiles. There's like actually making sure yeah. the printer is clean. And like, mm -hmm. this is one of those consequences of being a digital artist when I would like do a lot of like mm -hmm. digital prints because it's like, cool, now I have to print this on paper and it looks terrible because I printed it right, wrong. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. I had my heart up, my heart rate up from technology because I couldn't get my Raspberry Pi to work. Uh, you ah. know, my little mini media box I Did built. Did you try putting it in the oven? I knew you were going to say that. I literally was like, God, I know. <laughs> I'm talking about a very niche technological device to someone who just said they prefer analog. I was like, why did I not? I set myself up to fail every time. Uh, no. I, but it was like, dude, I, I, it was one of those, like, I'm going to throw this at the wall moment, but I'm not violent, so I just left. But, like, right. in a sense of, 
just coding. I have literally hacked this device like three times. I learned how to hack just to get this thing to work and it still doesn't work. <laughs> and it's just like, that's when I go, I am literally going to go back to the wild. I am going to not mm-hmm. ever deal with technology and I'm just going yeah. to go analog. And then I sit on my computer editing um, audio and, you know, video for my work. So it is, <laughs> it, I, I blame, I blame my dad who was a computer uh, like an IT guy for a very long time before he started his own business mm-hmm. and then gave me a computer at like five. And I think that mm. changed everything for me because <laughs> I just like right. played games all the time on it. Yeah. I mean, do you do you ever like question uh, the, the status? I mean, because you, you are at least more savvy than me having, you know, digital design experience and like, right. uh, you know, uh-huh. printing lab experience. But like, the the label of digital native gets thrown at people in our age group quite a lot. Is that like, because what does that mean? I've never actually heard that. Digital native is basically uh, people that are, that don't really remember or never had to adjust to the world uh, of, of, of pre-internet culture. Oh, okay. That, that, that we have... Because I, I mean, we're both old enough for VHS tapes. Um, oh yeah, but we, we at least, I mean, I don't remember. I don't really remember using it for the internet, but I remember my parents had a giant Dell computer. I oh, okay. have no idea what we were all using it for. <laughs> I used to print it to things. play Pajama Sam. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but I was never online. Yeah. So I missed out on a lot of crucial uh, stuff that I feel like people my age are more comfortable doing on the computer. And again, it makes me feel very ineffectual. No, you're so lucky, Zan, because that's honestly awful. Like, I, I didn't grow up on the internet, though, either until I didn't get on the internet really to like middle school, high school, I want to say. Um, right. And, yeah. uh, but I grew up like. I know a lot about technology because my dad does that for a living. So yeah. we kind of were like, like I was like one of the only kids that had a computer in their room, but I had one because like I had one because my dad worked with them. So we just got used ones all the time. But also like mm-hmm. I grew up with the same TV my parents had in like the eighties till I was in mm-hmm. high school. Like, you know, like we had all the old technology cause that's like what we could afford right, at right. the time. And like I used cassette tapes and CDs for as long as I can remember um, when right, people had iPods. Right. So it was like, this weird midground. Uh, in terms of being familiar with it because we use it all the time, probably. Um, that's probably partially mm-hmm. why I know a lot of what I know how to do. I think it's also right. just adapting to doing that always. Like being like, oh, okay, this is how you do that and that's how you do this. And like, it's why yeah, I, I, yeah. I just like working on Photoshop because I learned it and I enjoy how it functions. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, I was always very jealous of people who could do more analog stuff than i could now i can make memes though so the power is really in my hands in <laughs> yeah, this case you've you've really seized the the memes of production oh and my i'm God, stuck i'm that is such a good <laughs> title oh my god I have, I have to i have to 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 paint my memes uh you know very slow <laughs> is that very like the old art like the old masters had to do yeah can we get yes. can we get seize the memes of production on a t-shirt uh in the in the store soon <laughs> oh god well add it to the list yeah. of of UC- ucm gift shop uh 
shirts that you can get yeah, coming soon. Um, but I mean, spe- speaking of wanting to run away uh, from th- from our, our technological hellscape, uh, we are in a very different landscape here uh, in the UCM today. We've removed a wall and uh instead of that barrier we've placed in a a densely uh a a dense old growth forest in place of that wall it's a very different kind of barrier um i think there may be some wild boar here which is mildly concerning yeah just watch out for those uh those guys they're pretty aggressive as it usually goes mm-hmm. um yeah and mm-hmm. also there mm-hmm. might there looks kind of like a unicorn in the background or it could just be a horse or it could just be a reindeer i'm not really sure uh, we might definitely yeah, yeah. want to make sure that the brush is thick enough so they don't get by us though mm-hmm. yeah that's uh def- definitely got to watch out for those unicorns i mean the the uni- the unicorn will like gore me to death because it knows i'm a slut <laughs> uh oh my god or or <laughs> But yes, uh, we're here to talk about uh, sort of uh, a, a a forest that is mythical in one sense, mm-hmm. uh, but also has some historical validity, uh, but, but sort of as, as a way to talk about the ways that geography really shaped a lot of uh, how how we think of human cultures in the past and how we uh, interpret borders. So th- this is something you know a little bit more about than me. So I'll I'll give you the the reins here on this, Joe. Oh, thank you, thank you. And also, it's it's very fitting that this fog is starting to roll in from our forest. Put in here, I mm. think that that sets the mood a lot. Right. So. This was something I discovered, I think, about a year ago and forgot about and then re-remembered having to put it back into work I'm doing for this exhibition. But um, this forest we have here in terms of the natural borders, like you're saying, that they've defined regions and mm-hmm. also just like how far an army can get, there mm-hmm. is mention in history of this very, very, very large forest named the Hercinian Forest. Now, mm. if you've ever heard of like Fangorn Forest or basically anything from a fantasy book or movie that deals with like large murky forests that, you know, it has fog and it's like, you know, it looks like Dagobah almost or, you know, Fangorn, as I said, <laughs> and there's something lurking, but we don't know what it is. And they and the, mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. heroes are like, ah, we got to go around the forest because it's too yeah. big. This is kind of where a lot of those myths and ideas come from is actually this one. Ah. It's ancient, as I said, and it really was at the height of it in terms of it being known was during the Roman Empire, specifically actually with uh, Julius Caesar, who we'll get to in a little bit. But this, to give you an idea of how far this forest stretches, it went from the northeast of France to the Carpathian Mountains, which borders Ukraine. So well into Eastern oh, Europe. Yeah. Very far and very thick, wow. too. It was an incredibly dense forest during ancient times and and actually is partially the reason that a lot of the Germanic tribes were able to kind of chill while the Romans were making their conquest north. So a lot of the, the German tribes and their tribal lands existed either past the forest north or in it. And you mm. get a lot of proto-Germanic languages and proto-Celtic languages forming here as well as proto-European. But 
essentially when the Romans were making their way north, um, they got hit with this border. Now, the reason I know I, I learned about this actually was because I was doing some research into the history of like where Documenta takes place in Castle, and which is about like a little bit north of Frankfurt to the east. I would say like northeast. And I was curious if, because uh, for, for Documenta 14, there was this connection to antiquity and like Greece and Rome. And I was just kind of curious. But, but it, as it turns out, they never made it that far um, because of this forest that basically stood in their way. And they were like, we are not going through that. I, I imagine taking a legion of Romans through the forest uh, wasn't really there, a great there's strategy. There's one Roman that's just like, zoinks, we are not going in there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's all, it is all fun, you know, it, it's fun in games until you hear, like, you know, ancient German being spoken in the in the brush when you're walking by. Right. Uh, yeah, that's got to be kind of terrifying. But it, it mm-hmm. is, it's one of these cases where, like, they didn't bother to go any more north, it seems, because of the forest blocking it. To the point where, like, you know, in and Julius Caesar writes about this, and that's actually partially where we get a lot of this evidence from, besides like Germanic folklore and geographical evidence. But mm-hmm. he, he's also thought to coin the the name for um, the Hercynian Forest because it's translated out of uh, Greek and Italo Italo Celtic language groupings. I don't know too much mm. about it, honestly, but it's it, it its original naming comes from um, Proto Celtic. But in his statements from Debello Gallico. He notes mm-hmm. that it's stretched from the Danube to the territory of Helvetia, which is in Switzerland, or would mm-hmm. be modern-day Switzerland, and also Dacia, which is then present-day Romania. So its northern length was said to be at least a nine-days march to go through it. But its east and west width was said to be over 60 days march away. Wow. So that's kind of crazy putting it into perspective, especially because those guys like march day in, day out. But yeah. I imagine the nine days through must have been hell on earth to get an army because oh, yeah, it was so no. so thick you're trying to get through the trees and the the forest there's mm-hmm. just fog and you know yeah sounds you're not used to and then it's like i'm the lorax and i speak for the trees <laughs> german lorax <perfect>. yeah german lorax <laughs> german lorax wants you to get the hell out yeah literally it's it's leave or take a axe to the back essentially but mm-hmm, it is like mm-hmm. because you have to imagine they they would easily be ambushed through here and lose because yeah. they're not fighting in their own territory. Their shields and also just like archery or anything of that sort is useless. And yeah. I mean, I'm sure they tried to like chop it down, but e- eventually it does seem they did make it. Right, dead, right. They're but... just they're just get they're getting chased out by Ewoks. You know, it's... <laughs> it does start to feel a little bit like Star Wars when you <laughs> when you read a little into right. it. It does feel this way, but. One of the things that I thought was kind of odd, um, and this is going to project us well a little bit further in the future, and then I'm going to pull us back, but is when I was doing my research into this, because at that time for the project, I was working a lot in Google Maps, so I was cu- mm. or Google Earth, I should say. So I was curious, like, could we find any remnants of this forest? And to put it in like perspective, the Black Forest is a bit of a, like is thought to be like a section of this uh, that mm. remains. So if you know what that looks like, this would be probably even bigger and crazier and scarier. But when I was looking at I the mean, cast- it's, not, it's not that's it's not that scary. It's I mean, how scary, scary can uh, a forest be if it's primarily known for cuckoo clocks? <laughs> I I thought you were gonna say black forest cake. <laughs> um- <laughs> I mean, well, here's what I know about the black forest. I guess uh-huh. cuckoo clocks. Right. Uh, Black Forest ham. Oh. Um, and uh, 
I don't know. Rapunzel's Red Riding Castle? Hood? I guess that's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. Rapunzel's Castle is yeah, yeah. pretty scary. Okay, too. okay. You know what? Yeah, the, the scariest thing I know about the Black Forest, honestly, are the Grim Fairy Tales. Okay, well, yeah, perfect. So actually, that a lot of the Grimm's fairy tales comes from this older, like, these folk stories passed down from this forest, too. It influences mm-hmm. a lot of the culture surrounding it. And it makes sense, because it's, like, the scariest thing near you, but they grow used to it and comfort it to it. Right. But if you're from, you know, Rome or, like, Sicily, and you're hanging out mm-hmm. there, and you get recruited into the Roman army, and your job's yeah. to go march through this forest, that's gotta be, like crazy oh, yeah. i mean i imagine that was the same thing like going up to like scotland and and, and talking with the picks and that's got to be another oh yeah situation. no i mean you, that 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 is the the bizarre thing about like coming from come from a large kind of expansive uh you know empire with a variety of uh you know um environments one oh, of the yeah. things that uh, a professor of mine would talk about in undergrad you know this is being out in montana and it's this story that, like, I, I would love to talk more about at some point because it's so interesting. But basically, uh, when uh, when World War Two broke out after the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the United States really did not want to go to war. There wasn't really a standing army ready to go. But basically, the people that they were able to pull from that were ready to go were like a bunch of farm kids from the Midwest and Montana. Hmm. So like, if you could imagine, you know, one day you're, uh, you know, farming in Montana and then you get a letter in the mail and next thing you know, you're dressed in your woolen uniform being sent out to the Pacific, you know, yeah. to, to, to fight the Japanese. That is... Like, like the the there there has to be just such a shock oh too, yeah that like you're in an unfamiliar place and fighting oh my god no i can't imagine i mean we're also so desensitized to it because we've seen like most of the world through screens so mm-hmm. we kind of have an idea of like what that looks like like i could go oh, and yeah. look up all these areas through google earth and get an idea of what that looks like whereas mm-hmm. in the past that's not gonna happen you get you get retellings and people explain it to you and you imagine it and then i imagine when you get that shock of showing up there it's like oh my god this is kind of crazy mm-hmm. and 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 especially you know coming to terms with this type of boundary has to be pretty scary because you know the fact that the it I'll say this. The fact that repels the Romans means it's got to be terrifying because right, they're not stopping right. for anything. You know, they're going to conquer yeah. and they're going to build a bridge or something and, and do their mm-hmm, thing, mm-hmm. you know. They're industrious, <laughs> if nothing else. I mean, yeah, it's it's like it's the whole thing of like if you join the army, you're essentially like an engineer. So because they're just building things yeah. half the time, which is, you know, mm-hmm. efficient and makes sense. And we still have those roads. So I guess there's something to it. But yeah. it's also like. You know, besides just the trees and the atmosphere, there's also lots of different animals here that just have never been seen before. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the aurochs is said to actually be uh, roaming around these these parts in these woods, as well as also like wow. the European bison, which maybe you know more yeah. about than I do. And also, there's a there was a, a wild bull called the urus or urus said to be there. Okay, that's yeah, Roman yeah. named. I, you know more of these than I do. I don't know much about I just hear similar names. But also the, there was supposedly moose as well as large reindeer uh, hanging yeah. around. They, so, they would have called, interestingly, they would have called them elk because moose yes, yes, is, yes, elk. Uh, is, uh, is an Algonquin word. Oh, I didn't 
didn't know that. Okay, so oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. actually that's actually why moose does not pluralize to meese like goose oh. does or oh, or mouse. That's interesting. Because th- those are those are Germanic words in English that pluralize. Moose didn't enter the English lexicon until English speakers got to uh, got to America. That's really interesting. I didn't actually know that. Thank you for sharing. Mm. It's good yeah, to know no so. It, that that is what I'm here for because I do not know as much about this forest. Oh, so, no worries. Uh... <laughs> you're correcting my you're 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 enlightening us with uh your yeah, yeah, language yeah. skills. But yeah, like they would have come into contact with these animals too. And I know like the RX exists well beyond this as well and they would have been Yeah, a lot yeah, of the, places, the RX but... will will live into the Middle Ages before it goes extinct. Yeah. But this is kind of crazy because it's this time period where uh enough of the the central european uh you know plains and forests are still mm-hmm, intact mm-hmm. that there yeah. is legitimate you know dense wilderness in these oh, yeah. places that that we really just sort of think of as the urban the now, now urban and well-trodden uh, regions of Europe. Well, yeah, exactly. That was my whole fascination with exploring. And, um, and I mean, like, it led me to this incredible discovery for myself. I mean, obviously, people have known about this, but I, I didn't. And mm-hmm. one of the, because when you think of Europe, you think of plains and flat areas and urban, especially in Germany and the Northern Europe. It's very urban, it's very sprawled, but careful in terms of where things are placed and, and strategized for sure. But before mm-hmm. it was just trees and wilderness and so mm-hmm. much there. And it's that whole thing of like finding out that, you know, the reason Britain doesn't have forests because they cut them all down for boats. And the same thing with like, you know, mm-hmm. most of Europe doesn't have a lot of trees anymore because of that same issue. And it's why they, you know, go and colonize other places. But right. right. Is... I mean, this th- this is also I mean, if you, if you take it elsewhere in the world, there's lots of uh I mean, th- this kind of famously has been part of the the ecological crisis of Haiti, you know, having mm. runaway erosion from so much deforestation there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is still the going theory, but I know for some time that was the rhetoric around um, Easter Island. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, that that, that they had, uh, you know, gone through deforestation. I think there's been some pushback against that. Um, I, I I don't know as much about that in particular. But you know, definitely Haiti has has yeah p- part part of their you know just one more you know kind of issue that they, they mm-hmm. have to deal with. But one thing especially is uh, erosion from uh, yeah from from deforestation. The right, but this is also so interesting because, like you were saying, you know, Central Europe is fairly flat, um, and. It's it's fascinating to think about a border that used to exist there, but it does kind of make sense, like this belt that's going across uh, Europe that almost kind of explains the um that 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 cultural barrier as mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. you know, and it makes you think a lot about the the origins of our idea of a border for a nation yeah. now, like when when you have sort of these extreme natural barriers, you feel like just that was how any state ever was, uh, you know, or, or, or some larger territory was ever able to be established. Like Mm -hmm. we, we want to imagine that culture was always like this gradient that 
they're speaking this one thing here and the language is pretty similar. The closer you are to it, you go further away. It's less similar. It's less similar until you get to another point where they're speaking a separate language. Uh, and I feel like that's what would happen if there's nothing in the way. But then, you know, you have these these uh, these geographic features. You have stuff like this forest, you have the Ural Mountains, you have the Himalayan Mountains, you have the Mediterranean. Uh, you have these things that sort of suddenly force this, uh, this separation almost and almost like a, uh, a, a speciation of culture, you know, suddenly yeah. to, to the point that we think of these things in terms of subcontinents. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of crazy how much they shape the cultures that surround it and then create mm -hmm. those borders, um, those natural borders mm -hmm. that will define what happens there. What like, like for instance, for the Greeks, you know, who mm -hmm. also are on the Mediterranean. Well, Medi no, actually they're on the Aegean and the Adriatic, but yeah. same area. Um, but again, like it's completely different than more of the Italian peninsula where you have sprawling hills and arable mm -hmm. land and stuff. Whereas then in the in the Greek islands and peninsula, it's rig rigid and mountainous and harder to farm and harder to get around. Yeah. And so you have, you know, cultures that rely on the sea and then they rely on being more coastal and separated from one another. So right, it is right. I mean, not to say that Italy isn't because it was. It's just a bit different in terms of that relationship. And mm -hmm. I mean, this also happens in other regions as well, you know, and it's the kind of it's it's kind of Russia's problem when it comes to unifying one main culture, you know, that far across when yeah. your 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 aristocracy and then bureaucracy later on is is geared in in Eastern Russia or Western Russia, I should say more towards Europe. Yeah. And then you're still taking people in all the way to like Kamchatka, which is pretty yeah you know, very and different it's, it, it's it's one of those things i mean russia is a fascinating example i mean as far as like a if you want to talk about a country without you know a a natural border because uh, most of russia's population is on what we would consider the european half uh you know uh the west of the ural mountains right um you know, and that is kind of what we think of as Russia. But then, you know, you go further east and, you know, you you get uh, the, the 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 larger by surface area, but less populated regions. I've I mean, I've heard that like Mongolia as a country pretty much solely exists as yes. a buffer. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Between China and Russia and it's it's got obviously the Gobi Desert, um, you know, but that's it's fascinating to think about what happens when you suddenly don't even have, you know, what happens when you you keep going and going and going and you don't hit a wall, you know, you get Russia, yeah, and then you try to build a Trans Siberian Railroad and it goes not great, um, <laughs> no age to them, but a lot of people died. So their orchestra was very good. It is very good, yeah. Hi there, my name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account, while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. 
You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. But it is, it is, yeah, I, I've also seen that TikTok about Mongolia, because I'm pretty sure that, is that where you heard it from, too? That's where I had heard that from. That was one of those things yeah. that sounded very interesting. I was also like, mm-hmm. I was like, is that right? No, I mean, it's it's not. Well, I think people from Mongolia would be not happy about it, to be honest. But maybe I, I, I don't they're know. Like, they're honestly. like, we did. They're like, we did all of that. And that's the only reason you think we're still here. <laughs> we took over most of the world. And <laughs> and and now what? We're just we're just a buffer. Yeah, no, that's I think I think the world has more respect for them on that. That's like the it's like we can make fun of the Romans as much as we want. But I feel like there is a kind of this respect of like, yeah. That was pretty badass. Like that was pretty. Mm-hmm. That was pretty mm-hmm. awesome. A lot of people died, but that was pretty awesome. Like with the Mongols. Right, right, thing. right. But um, but it is like, <laughs> but it does kind of make sense. I mean, I don't know if it's like strategic or not in that way. I think sometimes like there are countries that just exist for the sake of borders, which is kind of a really crazy way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's kind of like even like Tajikistan existing in between, like. China mm-hmm. and then the other stand countries, uh, which is also fascinating. But again, like all of these having been grouped under a Soviet ideology and nationalized yeah. nationalization, and then it's yeah. nation, and then like being their own subcultures, but also very different from Russian. They're not really that right, similar right. because it's more, you know, Western yeah. and has that Scandinavian approach to it too. But also yeah. like you kind of even see that with the Scandinavian, actually bringing it up, you see that with Scandinavian countries also, that all of them kind of have that shift in language once you get to Finland. Mm-hmm. Because like right. it was one of these, you know, language is something I enjoy, even though I'm not very good at it. But it's fascinating to me how, like, even countries close together can change their mm-hmm. complete languages. Like, so for instance, when I was, like, after we went to Denmark, I was also just curious about, like, I want to mm-hmm. learn Danish or I want to learn Icelandic, which yeah. I wanted to do at one point when I was younger. And it's right, incredibly right. difficult and I don't recommend it if you don't need it. But <laughs> or if you're just really into it, honestly, I do recommend it. But Icelandic is the closest you'll get to Old Norse. They still keep to that, mm. which is very fascinating to me because Norwegian, uh, Danish and Swedish went into their own directions and took a bit more from their, you know, Germanic uh, relatives. And as they moved on. So it's like Iceland speaks their own version of Old Norse. So if you're a Norwegian, you really don't understand it. You get some words, but not all of it. If you're Norwegian, mm-hmm. you'll understand Danes. And if you're Danish, you'll understand Norwegian. Just they're kind of like, I would imagine an English accent to like an Australian accent. Um, okay. And the same thing with like sweet, like with Swedish. It's it's that same kind of dialect mm-hmm. differences. Some of the words are the same. Some of them aren't. Then you get to Finland. And it's completely different. It's like not in that. It's more, uh, it's actually more like, um, like the Cyrillic languages than it is like mm-hmm. like than it would be uh to mm. um Germanic. It's like it's different yeah. it's a different relationship to language. So yeah. but they're also neighbors. So that's what I find kind yes. of fascinating. And just these borders of um mm-hmm. of of the the Baltic and then just mountain ranges separating them and which mm-hmm. way you're going to go. So I imagine too with with this forest as well, you know, the mountains, well, the forest itself separates it from the South of Europe. So it keeps them Mm -hmm. very much in their, you know, the proto-Germanic and later Anglo and German tribal languages and traditions. Mm -hmm. And then you have Southern Europe essentially creating their own very similar ones due to the, to the relation to the Mediterranean. Right. Right. Well, you get 
like a couple of interesting like historical reverberations from this at least from my perspective as someone mm-hmm. that doesn't know particularly a ton about this uh this particular forest but you know is familiar enough with german art history um you know the 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 way it was taught to me at least was you know when you know once once you go further into history and we've got like you know the the more contemporary nation states and and or you know at least the the empires and kingdoms that would yeah. be more recognizable to us today more consolidated than just you know these um these individual isolated tribes uh of of people loosely connected by culture and language um you know when, once you go further in, into history when that's much more consolidated most european kingdoms especially once they were christianized wanted some connection to the history of the romans and in mm-hmm. a lot of ways the even though you know julius caesar you know tries to conquer gaul with mixed results um right <laughs> uh the and and yes i had to read that in latin class is his account of the of the gallic wars hmm. um the uh the the germans wanted to hearken back to that just like all of the other christianized kingdoms but they did not have the roman history that uh italy could claim that you know france and and spain you know the, the iberian peninsula the 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 countries that today still speak romance languages mm-hmm. they didn't have that stuff they didn't have you know the, the aqueducts the ancient roman architecture that they could find some sort of nationalist um you know um inspiration from for sure so they what they could be proud of and have a national um a a a national identity around was their landscape and what they could point to is they could say look it was this landscape and this and these these forests and these mountains that allowed us to retain autonomy Mm. through history and retain our culture right you know that was where a lot of their pride from and you see that reflected in their artwork you also see that um reflected even in their architecture the idea of a of a german gothic church really starts to make a lot of sense once you look at the the nave with those rows of columns as trying to evoke a Mm -hmm. an ancient german forest yeah yeah and then the other interesting thing that this kind of does is you know it shows the the spread of those germanic peoples and uh, you know how how differently they would have uh viewed themselves from maybe say a neighboring tribe that mm. you know the, the the idea of a unified germany just like a unified italy or britain you know all of these things are in fairly recent enough history that you know there there you don't have to go too far back you know for all of these people to you know think of themselves as as different peoples Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um right and and this actually does also kind of have a this was part of the rationale 
for Germany's expansion in World War or attempts at expansion in World Wars One and Two, because Germany could point to all of these isolated pockets of German speaking people in Eastern Europe mm. and say, look, there have always been Germans there, again, with their new definition of what a German was, because Germany was was brand new as an right, idea. Right, right. You know, but they're saying, look, there are all of these Germanic peoples that are living in Eastern Europe. We are just reconquering what was uh, what we see as a a a larger ancient German empire, you know, and you still see this to some point today. You know, you, you could even like look at this as, you know, the way Russia sees it, you know, itself as, you know entitled to uh the 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 lands to the west of it you know in particular ukraine because Mm. it was at some point a part of their influence and also they could point to people there that historically were russian right yeah you you do get that that poll i mean and it makes sense because Mm -hmm. these 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 nations are all new relatively and like it's the same with with italy even too Mm -hmm. where like again all of them are region based and then they you know in 1861 come under the uh, the the kingdom of italy and then the nation of italy but you know it's funny you mentioned the 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 german like the the later german approach of like wanting to connect back to antiquity and specifically with the romans because you know upon my research for this when i was surfing you know google earth yeah. and, and scanning through castle to find images <laughs> right right look, look, um, wait, did you find any black spots i didn't no 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 black spots no. but <laughs> i found roman ruins which oh. spark which is what i was kind of mentioning earlier and this actually sparked my investigation because i was you know i basically would spend time on google earth and i would go through and find these like i would do a lot of research and look up like specific um mm-hmm. like locations around castle to see its history like how far back does this mm-hmm. go right like how far right, can we right. push it besides you know um like let's mm-hmm. go pre you know in bce time and mm-hmm. i found out like again i was like well okay well maybe the romans made it this far so that's because i found these ruins so i was like well they right. they, must, they must have but then i did some research and found out about this this forest that would have been well into castle would have been well beyond it like they would not have wow. made it there and I was like, oh, they didn't make it this far north at all. Maybe maybe a little mm-hmm. later, but they wouldn't have built anything. Like, they did not make mm-hmm. it here. So what the heck is this? <laughs> and why is it here? And yeah. upon doing my, like, some further reading and trying to, like, like finding the name and Googling the name and looking it up, I found out that they were um, fake ruins, essentially. They were built in, like, the <laughs> 1600s and 1700s oh, yeah, as, like, yeah. an aesthetic. They were literally oh. someone's aesthetic. Uh, wow! Left there. So th- this was one of those because this mm-hmm. this is something that I am actually familiar with, not in necessarily this region, but this was actually a practice, like even into the UK, you know, places yeah. that you know. I mean, the UK at least in some places has Roman ruins, but right, um, not as many anymore. But 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 yeah, no aristocracy uh, all over Europe loved oh, yeah. building fake Roman ruins, you know, in their in their estates so that they could you know again cosplay they could cosplay but they could also like claim some ancient tie to uh 
to to this uh to that to that empire yeah and like i think it's one of those things that's always been a little bizarre to me over time but we're so Mm -hmm. used to that being the standard for civilization because we're kind of taught that right i mean it it, what is it in every single like western civ class or even just world Mm -hmm. history if you're in the u.s Mm -hmm. right it's like you learn about mesopotamia egypt greece Mm -hmm. china sometimes if you're lucky uh indus river valley and then rome and those are like and i those are a little out of order but you know that's mm-hmm. like peak civilization this is what we need to model things after and and some of those probably don't even make the mainstream you know like world history classes in high school right right and i think it's also i'm just wondering like i i know the reason we like rome so much is because when you have a civilization that uses structure uh a power of the state and just mm-hmm. like this idea of we are going to use a republic and it's a form of government and structure and order mm-hmm. to bring civilization, quote unquote, to the rest of the world. And that way we mm-hmm. can, and, and with that bringing trade, bringing roads, navigation, ease of life for other people, um, mm-hmm. even more like common folk can have luxury items depending, you have instruments being made, you have, you know, all kinds of technological advances as well as like mm-hmm. just general goods for everybody. You don't have to just like survive in the wild. But, you know, you also get a lot of bad stuff that comes with that too. Like mm-hmm. the, a massive slave trade and, you know, the erasure of other cultures and war games that are pretty horrible to witness. I mean, I guess we're looking at that now, but you know what I yeah. mean? Like you yeah, get a lot of... The, that the, the things that, you know, are... Uh, you know, we're we're terrified of of creeping homogeny. You know, in a in a practice yeah. of, of building a a nation, and you know, when when those borders matter less and less, it's you know, you you can you, the, these these geographic borders. You know, technology has allowed us to cross those things. You know, you're 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 seeing, um, you know, the sort of creep of uh, the the fear that we all have that the thing that is most efficient will overtake everything else because it's the easiest to replicate um and it's it, and that's um and that's sort of that that terrifying idea and i mean that was unfortunately the model for a long time mm. when it came to even well-intentioned people that were trying to um in their eyes empower uh indigenous peoples and people from poorer countries you know the yeah. idea was well we just need to import our system because clearly our system is working um, <laughs> yeah. you know and right. this is this is where you get you know reservation boarding schools and stuff you know this yeah. is where you get you know people not being allowed to speak your language this is where you get you know um what we're currently watching happen in china uh yeah with uh you know they're the, the this this strive to to stamp out deviating uh cultures and religions mm-hmm. so it's it's insanely uh it, it it's hard it's hard to make a case for civilization sometimes no it it is though like it's but it's also i mean it's also very nuanced obviously it's not yes. something we can just yeah. be we're 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 very we're not primitivists here. We want people to have you know medication for their diabetes, and we want yeah. people to to have to have access to 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 things that uh, that make 
that make life life easier if you're right you right know, if you're in need of, of medical care or you know just so that you don't have to work constantly and you, exactly. are, you are allowed to have leisure and you're allowed to have um meaningful projects in your life besides just keeping yeah. yourself alive which is a pretty meaningful project but like also you should have some time to you know Jeez. read some books and do some yeah. art too yeah like i think i think i think we would advocate for that i think mm-hmm. the the issue is is those things are not um things that can or really should be replicated on a massive scale so it's hard to fit it into an idea of, uh, you know, a a a a world without without borders, a world, <laughs> you know, like uh, like because that that that's what we, we we struggle with this now. Like it's even difficult to tell if it is a a right wing or a left wing issue sometimes. You know, to to advocate for for borders of some kind because on on the one hand we want regions that are um historically um dominated over to have autonomy and people's you know like the the kurds or right. uh you know the you know like a, a recent uh, a recent ish success story would be south sudan you know mm. uh gaining independence you know this we want to see people have autonomy over their regions and in that same breath we also uh want to enforce some kind of international law that there is a body like you know the UN that can mm. say hey here are certain rights that all human beings should have and you know if you do not find these things compatible we're going to have a problem right it's, it's, so it, it depending on what those what the particular issue of the moment is can you know it's not even necessarily a a a, a cut cut and dry right wing left wing issue at, yeah. at least the way that i that i see it sometimes it's not um mm. th- there's certainly people that want independence that are trying to do so for nefarious reasons you look at like remember a few years ago when like colorado and california were trying to divide into five separate states not really honestly maybe like a little bit that sounds yeah, kind of but, familiar well when you look into that you know they're all like we want you know our independence we don't see ourselves the same way as other californians yeah, yeah other californians and really when you get into it it's like you know of course it's all the all of the people backing it are like people that want deregulation for like <laughs> environmental standards and yeah. people that want to split up poorer regions and richer regions like jesus it's it's always that you know yeah but the idea of a border Mm -hmm. and and sort of the the origins of these things it's it's incredibly complicated yeah i mean like as you're saying this though because it's it's really interesting and i'm really i'm like rethinking my own interpretations of borders because like Mm-hmm. I okay because you know I've worked with immigration as a as a concept right. as a as something to interrogate in my practice for a bit mm-hmm. and this is where things I feel like get a little complicated because I would argue borders are bad um the idea that we separate ourselves through through lines can be dangerous mm-hmm. however I wonder if that's just colonial thinking altogether that affects these things because 
you're right. There are certain people that are fighting for their lands, that are fighting for borders, for autonomy of their of their homelands mm-hmm. that no one else gets to necessarily control. And I wonder if the even the idea of I don't want borders, right? Like no borders, we're right. a world citizen can be dangerous because you do just invite one you know, homogenized group to then take over. It's the idea of a universal language, which is insane when, when we think about that, how dangerous it is. And also the idea that like, like English, here's something that bothers me. Art Mm -hmm. English, the idea Mm -hmm. that the art world using English as the main language, because it's the one that's the most spoken, which is practical and it's Mm -hmm. important, right? We all need to communicate, but who says it has to be English, right? Like it's a colonial language. I mean, that that's, that's the, 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 practicality that they perceived in the past of why uh learned right. people should all learn latin because well, right yeah. latin you know certainly th- this is back in a time when everything would be extremely centered on the classics for sure yeah but latin was seen as a unifier because nobody spoke it uh mm. in everyday life so it didn't in 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 the eyes of the European intelligentsia, Latin was like an equalizer because it was right. like this is this is our our lingua franca. I mean that kind of makes sense though in that case too. But the interesting thing comparing yeah. it as well with like contemporary English is that they're they're uh, conquest languages. I don't really right I, right I, English. Well, is col- so, so so what you're what you're saying is we should all learn like Klingon or Elvish. We should learn some. Con- oh, we should learn conlangs. No. I wasn't, I'm not suggesting that, but that's a so, good so idea. That, so that, that they they prioritize nobody. They're not their language is not of this earth, except that they were huh. made by white, white guys. guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, but but it is. But like, hold on, let's break that down because that's actually okay. interesting. It is kind of interesting because this again is that other. It's the same paradox of the of the borders, right? Because then it's right. like, well, okay, we'll speak a language that none no one has identity to, and that way it'll be like universal. And this is by no means me targeting you. This is like. I'm kind of curious of this in parallel with borders. Right, right. Where, like, but language is so inherently human, right, that we we all are going to have our attachments to the way we speak. So, like, Mm -hmm. like, let's say it wasn't even Elvish. Like, someone created a new language out of, like, I don't know, just, like, so, like, that took a part of everything, and we had this, like, neutralized version of it. You would still probably get dialects, and you would still get changes, and you would still oh, have yeah. to modify it because people want that identifier to themselves. So, oh, yeah, it, it is I mean, like people, people even have dialects within um, sign language, which is fascinating. That's like, even really within cool. huh. American Sign Language. There are dialects. That is interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, huh. but it, but it is like it's just it's again one of these things that's really complicated when it comes down to like what do we do. Right, because it's like, yeah. what do we all learn a million languages? I would love to. That would be the way to go, in my opinion. <laughs> but it's not physically possible. I think you can only right. learn like three or four unless you're really gifted in in obtaining language skills. But again, like in, in that circling back to that question of borders and also where we get that idea from, like that was sort of my fear when it comes down to like modeling everything we do off of civilizations that conquested other lands, because mm-hmm. essentially that just ruins all those other cultures that existed there. And, mm-hmm. you know, you could probably people will make the argument that it makes their lives better. I disagree. But it's like there are privileges that come with like advancements, as we know. Right. Medicine is great. Uh, books are nice. The idea that we have like technology to aid us in certain things is good. But mm-hmm. there's negatives when it comes to, you know, environmental issues, fossil fuels still being used, plastics. You can name mm-hmm. it. 
And all of those coming out of an ease of life, but then it still makes life complicated for others because we keep hierarchical systems in place. I'm getting out of hand, but you know what I mean. So it's like mm-hmm. all of this still modeled after an idea of civilization that expands well into other territories, into natural environments, and doesn't find mm-hmm. its place. I think that's why I would argue that we are very pro um, uh, solar punk here at the UCM, where it's right, like we just yes. carve our little spot. We have our little spot with some trees growing right, next to right. it and things grow around you. But it's like, I, I don't necessarily have an answer to this or a solution mm-hmm. necessarily, but I guess it's that repositioning of how mm-hmm, to look at these mm-hmm. civilizations because I think it's a shame and pretty horrible that this forest doesn't exist anymore, that mm-hmm. all of the wildlife in it is pretty much gone. Um, mm-hmm. That except around, except around Chernobyl. That is true. Yes, actually. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> they got that part back. They did get that part back. So that Yeah, no, I think they've, they've got like wild ponies back and wild oh. boar and lynx. And uh, yeah, like yeah. Uh, a, a lot of parts of the, the region around uh, the exclusion zone are uh, are actually kind of teeming with wildlife. Hmm. I, I think I, I'm I'm obviously i'm i'm also there with you and like you know hoping for a a a solar punk uh you know type of uh future and and idealism that 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 is where i where i fall on a lot of this stuff i also do think that there's been so much incredible learning and an accomplishment that has come from a sense of international collective global you know effort and sharing of information you think of how much was learned um you know in cases where you know suddenly people were able to share information from uh, uh, different parts of the world for the first time i mean and often it it uh it, it didn't always end in the best ways but i don't think it's worth discounting um the strives that were made I'm also, you know, thinking about like a. Uh, I I saw this uh the speech Bernie Sanders was giving at one point, and you know why he, you know, at least in the contemporary world, will advocate for borders so that you know uh a uh, a it is is you know right now a lot of rules about borders are what keep you know corporations and things from exploiting people. Uh, even yeah. more than they do when it comes to labor. The idea that if you want to do business here, you got to play by uh, a certain set of rules. Um, and yeah. maybe that's that's more of just a response to the 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 world that we're living in now and dealing with what we have to live in now. Maybe right now to to deal with the issues we have is to play by those rules you want to hope that eventually you'll reach some kind of escape velocity from that but you would also think that you know that we do not want to homogenize continents you know we no no that doesn't end well <laughs> yeah no de- definitely not i mean is because we we think of just how different things are one side of a mountain to another you know just how drastically mm. Uh, different um india is from so many other uh you know regions in southeast asia and in part it is because of the himalayan mountains yeah Um, yeah it is it is that that and you know india itself not being a monolith i I don't want to give that impression either india is is full of different regions and 
and and culture groups but you know you see that that line there with with the himalayas you see that it's why we think of it as a subcontinent you know yeah yeah it's uh it's it's very interesting to think of the the variety mm. that has come out of humanity from people uh deviating uh into different uh into different paths based on where they have been isolated and where they can and can't go where they can and can't conquer that's uh yeah. you know the, it it's just sort of a a part of history it's not something that you can put into a camp of this is wholly good or this is wholly bad i think you have to take it instance by instance you know mm. the the romans not being able to go north you know probably preserved uh a lot of the variety of european cultures that we see to this day in yeah. uh, central and eastern europe you know we pro it, history would have been different i mean the the alps even mm. you know sort of uh isolating italy slightly yeah uh yeah yeah, yeah. you know i i i mean that that's even like even even think about that in terms of history with um the the way that Hannibal, you know, is supposed to come in, come down through the Alps into Italy, and you know, all of his elephants die. And yeah. you know, if the if the Turner painting is to be believed, he's beset by Alpine villagers trying to you know kick him out. It's, uh, you know, these these geographies are are very tied to our, uh, our the the beautiful variety you see in mm. people. And, you know, sometimes it is because it did not allow them to be conquered and absorbed into uh, something, uh, into, into a, a, a dominant culture. Mm. So, yeah, no, this is, this is, ex <laughs> it's extremely <laughs> difficult yes. to say when this is wholly good and when this is wholly bad. You know, we want yeah. to, we want people to have uh autonomy but we also want to uh you know uh make the most of our of our international community yeah i i totally agree with what you're saying too because i i also don't want to discount the idea that we are so connected more now than ever and we can learn about other cultures when we couldn't right. have done that in the past and and also that we can re you know the borders do get reformed all the time it's like having to explain to like my parents that yugoslavia doesn't exist anymore and like we need to you know, yeah no my, update my, a map, my, right? my like, dad definitely refers to czechoslovakia uh yeah same i mean it's like but i think that's also because were you a map kid are you um, someone that looked at maps i had a, a globe i had a globe in my room but i was very i i was interested in either um fantasy maps or maps of where dinosaurs mm. were found interesting i was an I, that's this actually makes a lot of sense i was uh i was <laughs> i was a globe kid too i had a globe in my room that i studied all the time and i loved atlases like i was obsessed mm. with them i loved looking at maps and seeing where they fall and what culture was there and what i can learn about it and i i loved that a lot i'm finding that's not a mutually exclusive thing and that other people like looking at maps too so that's just a, a recent uh, discovery i've made but I, I i recently read this book um by Italo Calvino, the Italian author, uh, mm -hmm. Invisible Cities, which is very good. 
and it's very yeah. short too but it's about it takes it's basically this like it's poetry meets fiction in a sense where mm. it's based around the idea that Marco Polo is hanging out with an older Kublai Khan in his gardens and mm-hmm. in you know the in his empire and he's explaining Marco Polo that is is explaining to Kublai all the cities he's visited and he's doing so in this very poetic way and you know all of them are relatively different but similar when it comes down to describing people when it can come down to talking about how death is in the city but also how there's life and that there's these different instances of everyday life all taking place in the ancient world and it seems very you know Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. expressive and there's like a point where he's like i want you to talk about like your hometown of like venice and he's like but i've been telling you that the whole time in a sense where like a bit of his home town in in home city in, in in venice italy always goes with him on his adventures to these different places that like each city mm. you go to brings a little bit of you, of your home with you and that like even though there are these massively different changes from the north to the south and even within the materials used you do always bring different experiences with you but mm-hmm. just the way that you know, traveling through these different cities. And obviously this is coming from like, you know, the forties that is explaining this, but it's not, it's not to be a historical account it's based in that, but it is a very poetic and interesting way to look at traveling the ancient world and all of the, the, the different cities that come up based in borders and also just based in different cultures. So I, mm. I find that to be a nice reference for what we're talking about and contextualizing a bit, because I do think it's important to recognize how, you know, dialogues can now foster and be held within like an international community. A lot of my friends exist are from different countries that I've talked to them virtually. And that would mm-hmm. not have been possible without our advancements yeah. that we made. And it allows for a, if we allow it to do this, we have mm-hmm. a chance to reconnect and exchange information about each other's cultures while respecting and tolerating them and not trying to change them or homogenize them or force our own, uh, you know, cultural values and views on others. It is something where, um, and this is again, just me fascinating about language where I, I was talking to my one friend who speaks French as her primary language that it's like, for me, it's like, I wish I spoke French because I want to be able to speak your main language with you and not you having to speak your secondary to speak to my primary. If that makes right, sense. Right. Where like, there is get, get the way that someone thinks and approaches yeah. the world, you know? Yeah, Exactly. That... I, I assume you would have to be translating things from French, trying to translate ideas. I, I, I once, uh, I, I was on a road trip with uh, my uh, a friend of mine named Fatih. He's from Turkey uh, originally, but we were dro- we were we had met in Australia. We were on a road trip, and uh, he asked. We passed by something. Um, I you know it was like you know some australian chain like um uh i forget what the chicken place is that's everywhere uh or hungry jacks or something oh hungry jacks yeah 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 Yeah. well hungry jacks is their version of burger king i'm trying to remember (laughs) like their fried chicken place that because they have kfc there but there's another one that's uh (laughs) i cannot remember it's i don't know um but we passed by it and he's like how's the food there and i just said "Eh, it's not the best he's like so what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Just the, the the idiom did not uh Right, it didn't register. It didn't register. 
Well, did I ever tell you like when um, Alex, my roommate in, in Italy and I were like trying to explain American expressions to Italians and how that did not go well at all? Right, did I, right. tell, did I ever explain that to you how that went? Because it's it I was don't think so. It was so fun, like just because they don't make sense. Like you can't. We would oh, translate yeah. them literally, and it would just like not work. I mean, I I, tr- <laughs> I tried to do that with our professor. I told her, uh, "Let's yeah. talk turkey." That was so great. Possiamo ta- what, what, what is it? Uh, possiamo parlare il tacchino. Yeah, and she was like, "That makes literally no sense." <laughs> my um, my other roommate George would always um. He would always say as like his his excuse to just leave was I don't remember the actual translation, but it was like I left my gelato on the stove and then just walk <laughs> out and it just confuses everybody that like he would say it to because it's just like, what do you mean? And it's perfect. But it is it's funny. And it, it yeah, I mean, Italians also kind of without tangenting either, but even just in our in our concluding of language, Italians very interesting to me and in hearing our professors talk about it because you know when she, when the same professor that you asked to talk turkey with was also mm-hmm. explaining how just um English has too many words and mm. it's partially our problem where like in in Italian multiple words mean the same thing and mm-hmm. it's a lot less to deal with which can cause problems to be fair but right. we as Americans and English speakers are obsessed with labeling things and we are mm-hmm. obsessed mm-hmm. with everything having to have a term and everything having right. to have a meaning and a purpose attached to it and I think it is one of our problems and i don't think about that i mean mm-hmm. i'm thinking about it a lot more when it comes to language mm-hmm. because it is kind of this exclusive american or, or english thing right because even like a, a lot of my friends who speak different languages will translate things incorrectly and people get upset like mm-hmm. the mistranslations or they like freak out because of, yeah. of tonality problems and i'm and i have being a bit multilingual and growing up in that kind of a household and knowing people yeah. that don't speak english as a primary language you're sensitive to that and a lot of people aren't so it is just interesting to me how like again it's that way we think and how how right right things are all how how you want how you kind of want to impose um the logic of one language on the logic of another i mean right because obviously like in english we're we're having a reevaluation of our language and we want to be respectful to people and identities not previously recognized in a formal way by by most of society you know the the introduction of they and them as a as a pretty common singular uh pronoun you know in particular um and i think there's a similar there's a push among a certain set of people to introduce that to romance languages where all words are gendered unlike english you know and to have gender neutral uh pronouns for uh for for say french and yet there is also a set of people that are you know still you know pro trans and non-binary people but are also saying hey you know if nothing else the way that French handles itself, it actually kind of points to kind of the the arbitrary nature and fluidity of gender because random objects uh, are considered yeah. to have gender and not. It kind right. of it kind of itself is evident of the arbitrary and absurdity of it. Do we really want to apply 
the rigors and definition of English to romance languages. That's a good point. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's... I mean, it's an interesting, valid point. I, I, I don't on, I don't know if I have enough skin in the game to give an informed enough yeah. opinion. And I don't want to give the wrong idea that I'm not supportive of, of people trying to get the mm, right pronouns mm. for themselves. But it, it's an, it's an interesting thought that, you yeah. know, that you, we would like to hope that we arrive at a point in society where we recognize it's, it's not that important. It shouldn't tell me everything about you. Yeah, and again, all of this and and tying us back to the forests and tying us back to the to the borders, yeah. it all comes down to these constructs created by what yeah. what civilization formed around in a sense. Right. So yeah. I, I just think that it is all just so fascinating to me and how that these natural barriers essentially, you know, thousands of years ago crafted the language we're speaking right now. And oh, yeah. conveying all of this in, which again, if you start to get pretty, you know, for lack of a better word, meta about it, mm. it, it is like, how does this translate if we were to translate the show into like Korean or into, or translate mm -hmm. what we're saying into, into a different language? What mm -hmm. is that going to sound like and be like? And also then what does that come with? And how does, how does everything... And, and and maybe I'm just asking too many questions in a sense to start to wrap things right, up. But right. all of this knowledge that we have now is because we have been given the ability to write things down and we've been mm -hmm. given the ability to archive and for us mm -hmm. to access that research where people in the past couldn't. And it does create mm -hmm. a bit of a standstill. So with all of the questions that I'm, I was posing and, and in all mm -hmm. regards to this forest that once stood and no longer does... It mm -hmm. really does bring up that question of moving forward. What do we do about borders? What do we do about respecting cultural boundaries and peoples that have lived there for, you know, as, as long as they've existed and re being respectful of that and not, not trampling it over for the sake of having a homogenized group, but at the same time, not losing touch with, not losing touch with respecting the natural boundaries that we all kind of, that we all come from, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Very, it's extremely well put. Thank you for, oh, for bringing you. us home there. Thanks. Yeah. I didn't want to go too far into language because I could talk about it all day. I mean, it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll, we'll have to have entire other exhibits where we talk more yes, about this, but this was for sure. fascinating to delve into today. I think, uh, I think I see an exit sign over there. So I think we can oh, yeah, get we out can... of the forest. Yeah, it's, 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 it's good. The... Yeah, I'm seeing some yeah. red eyes show up. I don't really want to deal with that <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, wow, what an exhibit. What a blast. Um, Joe, what have, what have you got going on outside of the museum besides planning, you know, fantastic, you know, exhibits like this? Oh, thank you. Thank you. All part of the practice. Well, I have a I'm part of a group exhibition at uh, the University of Amherst in their uh, the Herder Gallery. Uh, mm. And I don't know. It, it should be up now. Actually, Herder, I hardly know her. Oh, God. <laughs> She's the pun man <laughs> over here. Yeah. Um, How's but, that going to translate? Yeah, right. <laughs> when they, yeah, yeah. When they, when they, when they translate uh, our, our exhibits across right. the world, is that, is that right. going to, is that going to work? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, that's happening where I have a bunch of my works on display there, all based in artistic research involved processes with art making. So I'm really excited about that. It's I'm, I'm hoping to go and actually be able to photograph it. That's one of my goals. So we'll see. But yeah, mm-hmm. if you're in the bo- if you're in the Massachusetts area, feel free to stop by and check it out. Um, I believe that's the top of my news in terms of important things. Most of the other stuff that's happening is a bit behind the scenes. So mm-hmm. just stay tuned. Uh, Zan, uh-huh. how about you? What do you got going on? Um, I've got some work up at uh, the Studio Public House in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, you can go there and see my work and some other people's work uh, for the show there called In Bloom. Um, getting ready for my uh, thesis show for my MFA is going to be May 23rd at the Ooh. Tufts Medford uh gallery it's gonna be pretty cool uh you know at long last here we go final (laughs) final project of (laughs) this master's degree so exciting and then who knows um that is all i can kind of report on for right now uh Mm -hmm. if you'd like to visit the museum after hours we are at uncanny museum on twitter and at uncanny county museum on instagram uh thank you as always for visiting the museum Mm, you can find me uh on instagram at xanasaurus and you can find me on instagram as at josimino art and from the uncanny county museum i have been the lorax i have been zan peters (laughs) and i've been josimino goodbye i'll be the zan